You're listening to Rights Up, a podcast from the Oxford Human Rights Hub. I'm Sean Mataluko, a journalist and a current BCL student at Oxford Law Faculty. In today's episode, we talk to Dr. Shreya Atri, an Associate Professor in International Human Rights Law at Oxford's Department for Continuing Education and Faculty of Law, about a recent report from the UK government's newly formed Commission for Race and Ethnic Disparity. In the summer of 2020, there were protests worldwide in response to the death of George Floyd, a black man who died in Minneapolis, USA, after a police officer kneeled on his neck for up to nine minutes. After several days of protests in the UK, with many holding placards saying the UK is not innocent and calling attention to police brutality and state racism in this country, Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced in an article for The Telegraph that he would be forming a commission to look at, quote, all aspects of inequality in employment, in health outcomes, in academic and all other walks of life, end quote. Many questioned the need for a new commission, given the fact that there have been numerous reports, reviews and inquiries about racism in Britain, whose recommendations have yet to be fully implemented. These include the McPherson Report from 1999, the Angelini Review from 2017, the Lamy Review also from 2017, and the Windrush Lessons Learned Review from 2018. Criticism of the new commission grew when it was announced that political advisor Manira Mirza, who had in the past questioned the existence of institutional racism, would be selecting the members of the commission. By July 2020, the members of the commission had been selected, including scientists Dr. Maggie Adarian-Pocock, MBE, former director of the Runnymede Trust, Samir Shah, CBE, and educationalist Tony Sewell, CBE. The commission's report on race and ethnic disparities in Britain was due to be published in late 2020, but after numerous delays, it was finally published on the 31st of March 2021. While some applauded the Commission's recommendations, which included, for example, a recommendation for the government to stop using the term BAME or Black, Asian and Minority Ethnic when discussing race and ethnic disparities, many critiqued the substance of the Commission's report, which included the finding that there was no evidence of systemic or institutional racism in Britain. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Shane. Thanks for having me um, and thanks for having this important conversation. I know you've taken a look at the report and I was wondering just so that our listeners get an understanding of what exactly the report was about I was wondering whether you could help us define exactly what racism is in terms of individual racism institutional racism and structural racism because I know that those uh, phrases have been bandied about quite a bit by the report and those commenting on it. So you ask in particular about individual institutional and structural racism so let me say that there are two things we should be looking for in any understanding of racism, which help us understand whether racism is individual, institutional, or structural, right? So let me begin with the classical understanding of of racism, um, which is, say, the biological superiority of one race over the other. Um, That's uh, the, the, the understanding which is sort of at the heart of how racism came to be developed. That's the origins, right? So we're looking for two things in that kind of an understanding. One is you're thinking about the belief system of the person who's holding that belief, right? So it's, it's a certain kind of attitude that you're looking for. You're looking for a bias, bigotry of some kind, right? And then you're looking for whether that belief is being held by an individual or whether it is something that comes about um, in the way things operate. 
when you think of individual institutional and structural racism in individual racism you're necessarily thinking of um, a, a single individual holding that belief on the other hand for institutional racism institutional racism per macpherson's definition from his report in 1999 uh, was necessarily about institutionals holding a belief right so it was the unwitting belief or or the culture or the attitudes of people within that institution and at the structural level it goes a bit further right so you're looking at going from micro meso to macro level when you're thinking of structural level here you're not necessarily looking for biases or individual bigotry you're looking for the way in which state is imagined or the political structures in 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 a in a society are are ideated imagined and 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 regulated in how they bring about the effects of racism so you're able to have racial discrimination without people necessarily holding racist beliefs that's absolutely correct and that's the view of race discrimination law right so the race discrimination law it started with the race relations act 1965 even back then it was very clear that the proof of intention was not necessary to be proving race discrimination ie that you didn't require race discrimination to be based on a racist view it was enough to show that a decision was taken because of race for example say um a pub owner may decline to employ um a a, a black woman um as as a waitress because he may think that he doesn't like black women that's an overtly racist view but that doesn't need to be the case if he doesn't employ black women because he thinks that black women will be harassed by his clientele or the clientele will not like the black waitress those two are problematic under race discrimination law so intentions are not relevant to the proof of race discrimination but you're right to ask in one sense what then is the link between race discrimination and and racism and i think um even though there is no proof required of of intention in in race discrimination if we imagine racism as a spectrum as a continuum which goes from intention to thinking about structures and the effects and the impact of racism i think racism is still relevant to thinking about race discrimination law but you're absolutely correct on the one end of the spectrum where intention matters race discrimination law says you don't necessarily need to establish intention to be able to prove race discrimination even though the intention was racist and so do you think then that the commission's report accurately determined the link between racism and race discrimination law for example because in a lot a lot of times in the report um they suggest that there's no evidence of ill intent towards minority groups in various institutions in the UK and therefore it's unlikely that racism is involved in the inequalities that these groups face so i wonder do you think that the, that the report has understood this distinction Uh, between racism and race discrimination correctly as well so i think two things are happening here one is that i think the central motive of the report is that they understand racism in this very very limited way that it's limited to this individual bigotry as an attitudinal thing and i think that in itself is problematic that i think if you understand racism in this limited sense 
um, rather than as a sense uh, which sort of maps the spectrum of racism. It, it really limits what you're trying to understand about racism, right? So that's one. The second thing uh, which you rightly ask is the link of racism with race discrimination. I think that link is largely undeveloped in the report. So at no place do you see the report actually engage with race discrimination and the concept of race discrimination. So there is very little link made between racism and how it is actually addressed in what I would think is the most obvious site for its redressal, right? So race discrimination law, one would imagine, is probably the most obvious thing you think of when you think, oh, we need to address racism. Uh, but but how racism is addressed in race discrimination law, that conversation is nearly absent. So clear analysis of provisions of the Equality Act 2010, where race is a prohibited category of discrimination, right? So you cannot discriminate on the basis of race, ethnicity. That is not something which is analyzed at all. So the link between racism and race discrimination is rather tenuous. I wish it was examined to be able to see exactly what are the ways in which racism is actually tackled in law. But to me, I don't see much happening at that end at all, other than the first part of the report, which actually talks about the EHRC getting more funding to be able to um, bring more race um, discrimination claims. I think that that's, 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 that's a good recommendation, but I don't think it's based on why exactly that's important in tackling racism. So I think the assumption behind that is that the way you tackle racism in law is through race discrimination law and funding EHRC would help there. But I think it would have been useful for them to develop this link to be able to say exactly how racism features in cases, in separate cases of race discrimination. I was hoping to get back to something you said earlier, because when we were talking about institutional racism earlier and you helpfully helped us see the differences between individual, institutional and structural racism, you referenced the McPherson report published in 1999 and the Commission as well, the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities, also make reference to the McPherson report when talking about institutional racism. And I wonder if it might be worth quoting the definition of institutional racism found in the McPherson report, which says that institutional racism is, quote, the collective failure of an organisation to provide an appropriate and professional service to people because of their colour, culture or ethnic origin. It can be seen or detected in processes, attitudes and behaviour which amount to discrimination through unwitting prejudice, ignorance, thoughtlessness and racist stereotyping which disadvantage minority ethnic people, end quote. And I wonder, do you think this is, that this is a good definition of institutional racism? So I think the McPherson definition has been subject of so much debate in the decades since it, it was proposed. The, the definition is helpful in the sense that it explains one kind of racism, but I think the moment you think of McPherson's definition as subsuming all racism is where I think it is conceptually open to being attacked. The limitations are twofold here. One is that it is still very much an individualized mode of thinking about racism as inhering in the minds of individuals within the organization. So even if it's collective failure of doing anything about those individuals, it's still very much coming down to how individuals within an organization work. 
So although you're looking for a response from the institution, you're really looking at what did the people within that, that institution do. The McPherson definition is unable to imagine that racism can be structural in terms of coming about in the way things are imagined in how the socioeconomic, political and cultural relationships between people are shaped by the state and the politics and the media. Um, so they, it just doesn't go at that level to be able to think in big, broad terms because it's to do with prejudice, ignorance at an individual level. So at both of these, I think McPherson's definition is limited. Um, but I think it's it's helpful in the sense that it it does it does speak the truth of a kind of racism, but it's 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 not the definition of racism. And I think most scholars who work on ideas of racism and anti-racism would say that this is one of the many ways in which we should be thinking about racism because racism is not something which can just be bracketed into one small definition. I think this may have made sense for the context in which McPherson was deliberating, but it's certainly not a template for thinking about racism um, wholly or per se. Perhaps linked to the, the limitations of McPherson then, it's interesting that the commission said that they didn't find any evidence of institutional racism in any of the sectors they looked at in the UK. And in particular, it was interesting that they said that some activists were perhaps misusing the term institutional racism. They said that institutional racism should not be used as a, quote, general catch-all phrase for any microaggression, end quote. And so whilst the commission appreciated that many, many black people and many brown people had a strength of feeling that they had experienced institutional racism in the UK, there perhaps was no evidence of the fact that institutional racism was present in the UK and that perhaps we're suggesting that lots and lots of things like microaggressions, for example, or, or other things are racism or institutional racism when they in fact are not truly forms of institutional racism. And I wonder how would you respond to that? So I think the commission is confused here. So on the one hand, the commission has said that institutional racism is different from individual racism in the sense that it wants to be clear about the different tags we use before racism. So it has given on one page five different definitions, um, and one of which is institutional racism, which it wants to be able to to be able to say that it, we should be very clear to not conflate one kind of, of of racism with another. But then it seems to be thinking of institutional racism in terms of microaggressions. Um, and saying that when looking for institutional racism, racism, we have to be proving uh, some deep-seated racism, um, and 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 you have to be able to show uh, where that is coming from. I think this is problematic because then it's going back to the definition of 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 individual bigotry and deep-seated racism, which I think by by that they're meaning that this is something which is uh, about holding bad views about certain groups of people, right? To, to to simplify this, I don't think that that kind of intention is necessary. But I think that's where the commission seems to be going in terms of demanding actual proof of state of mind. Um, so I think first it rejects that we should not be conflating this because a lot of institutions are not having that state of mind. But then it says, well, if 
you still want to bring a claim of institutional racism, then you should be showing that state of mind. I think you can only say one or the other, but I think the commission is confused in, in actually saying both. But I wonder then, because I'm just thinking about the Equality Act, is it is it straightforward to bring up a claim of institutional discrimination or institutional race discrimination, for example, or is it just one of many arguments that a lawyer might put forward in a case, for, for instance? I think it's a conceptual frame for understanding what happens in an individual case. Right? So it's not a ready-made category under the Equality Act 2010 where you can say that I'm bringing this case under um, a provision which prohibits institutional racism. So nothing like that exists. So Equality Act doesn't say we prohibit institutional racism. Um, but it does prohibit race discrimination in two forms, direct or indirect discrimination. So direct discrimination is that which is based on uh, a protected characteristic, right? So the protected characteristic is invoked in, in the reasoning or in the way in which a decision is reached versus indirect discrimination, which is about the disproportionate effects or impact of uh, a, a neutral provision criterion or practice which is faced by a particularly disadvantaged group, which is defined by a protected category. Right, so these are the two broad categories of discrimination under which you can then bring in claims which understand racism, whether it in, in an individualized way, whether in a particularly racist frame where somebody held a bad view or in a frame where somebody did not hold a bad view, but just took a decision based on race or in, in terms of a collective failure of an organization to address racism or in terms of the structure of racism, right? So these other conceptual ways of understanding racism have to be fed in through direct and indirect racism. But there are no, there are no ready-made categories for um, thinking through racism in race discrimination law, if you know what I mean. So there are some people on the political right who allege that the people crit criticising this report, they just want a negative, fatalistic perspective about racism in Britain. But the statistics suggest that Britain is one of the least racist countries in Europe. So I wonder, uh, in particular, in the, in the Commission report, they quote that there is a deep mistrust amongst ethnic minority communities because of this sort of narrative that racism is a prevailing feature of life in Britain. And so I wonder, how would you respond to that? Is there an issue with them presenting the fight against racism in Britain as its success story? Is there an issue with that? Or is it is it more complicated than that rebuttal would see it? I, I would just be wary of putting racism and anti-racist efforts in this quantitative scalar mode of uh, give marks out of 10 or give grades uh, A, A, B, C uh, or how racist are we, 73%, 50%. I think none of this is helpful. But I think what is even more unhelpful in the conversation is to be talking about this in terms of binaries. Are we racist or not? Is this a success story or not? Have we done well or not? I think these binaries where the only responses are yes or no um, are extremely misguided. They're, they're, not just, they're not just getting the answer wrong, but they're getting the question wrong. Mm -hmm. 
as the um, as the rapper Dave said at the Brit Awards, I think quite recently, that the least racist is still racist. And I think that links to what you're saying. But mo- moving swiftly on to the recommendations of the report, though, the commission in total makes 24 recommendations, quote, designed to remove obstacles for everyone rather than specific groups, end quote. And so I wonder what you think of these recommendations generally and whether you agree that we should move away from race-based recommendations and more to neutral race-blind policies, particularly from your perspective as a discrimination lawyer? So I think in terms of the recommendation about targeting um, anti-racist work um, to everyone rather than racial and ethnic minorities, um, I think that's based on a misplaced view of what um, fighting racism or racial injustice means. So from a discrimination law perspective, I think it's completely uh, legitimate to be thinking about specific racial groups, uh, especially groups which possess a certain protective characteristic and those who do not. This is something mandated by the Equality Act. So Section 149 of the Equality Act on public sector equality duty does not, in fact, talk in terms of targeting everyone. Right? It is quite particular in thinking about, say, if you have to advance equality of opportunity, it says that you have to think about equality of opportunity between persons who share a relevant protective characteristic and, and persons who do not. Um, it's the same with the duty to foster good relations between people. And that duty applies between persons who share a relevant protected category and those who do not. So thinking in comparative terms is critical in thinking about the nature of discrimination because it is essentially comparative in nature, right? It's relative in nature. Somebody is better off than those who have a protected characteristic than those who do not, right? That's the basic understanding of race discrimination. It's a basic understanding of discrimination. So I think doing away with that link is problematic. Okay, because I think if a commissioner were sitting here talking to you, they might say, for example, that, as they say in the report, quote, that geography, family influence, socioeconomic background, culture and religion have more significant impact on life chances than the existence of racism, end quote. And so if that is the case, isn't it right then that we should move away from race based policies? Because it seems that racism is not the underlying factor for many of the inequalities that we have in Britain. That's a good question. That would depend on being able to causally prove that that is true. And I don't think the commission has provided that proof. And I, I, I can only answer this from a conceptual standpoint as to why the proof will be problematic. It'll be problematic because it is very hard to delineate factors or to isolate factors such as race from class and so much of work in social science has shown that it is quite impossible to think of racism or say sexism or classism or ableism or or any kind of identity which disadvantages people as a monolith right it's not one thing the fact that different kinds of disadvantages interact with one another makes it difficult to isolate exactly what is the reason why people are actually disadvantaged. 
right? So the classic case of intersectionality is the case of black women, where racism and sexism is colliding. But it's not colliding in a sense that racism and sexism is sort of added up together or multiplied and becomes a different category. What's happening is that racism and sexism is interacting in a way such that it's co-constituting one another. Racism is making sexism and sexism is making racism. And that's the experience that you can't isolate. So if you have to be able to say that policies targeting black women have nothing to do with race, it's only got to do with gender or their class, or it's all poverty that neither race nor sex have any role to play in uplifting black women, then I think you'll have to be doing some heavy, rather impossible work in disentangling these categories. So I think it's understanding of racism as existing in isolation of these other categories of disadvantage is thoroughly flawed. Rights Up is brought to you by the Oxford Human Rights Hub. The executive producer is Kira Allman. This episode was produced by Gary Pillai, edited by Christy Calloway-Gale and hosted by Sean Mataluko. Music for this series is by Rosemary Allman. Show notes for this episode have been written by Sarah Dobby. Thanks to our production team members, Sandra Fredman and Megan Campbell, for their valuable feedback in putting this episode together. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you like to listen to your favourite podcasts.